available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. And uh, if you noticed, David just did a regular intro there. And the reason being is we have a special guest right at the top of the show uh, Dave Bartu, you can follow him on Twitter at CFB Matrix. So he's the founder of uh, Athletic Edges, and he's going to talk about the upcoming college football playoff rankings. Uh, Dave, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, I'm excited about the uh, new playoff committee uh, rankings coming out, so we can stop talking about the AP and everything else that's uh, basically meaningless in college <laughs> football. <laughs> It is. What is you, what is your sense of that? Like, um, how how much does that get drawn into what they zero know, begin with framing their discussion? Zero. It doesn't exist. I don't believe it exists at all. Now, I haven't been in the room, but I can hear you right now. Look, we we, we what we do. A little background for everybody listening is is what we do is. Uh, is analytics. We are trying to predict what's going to happen based on what's happened in the past. And Bill Hancock was nice enough to give us all the ranking rules in the first few press conferences. So we made up a formula with those rules. And since then, there have been 30 top 25 rankings. And our average miss on those 750 teams is 0.8 spots. 0.8. Not looking at any games. Not looking at the AP. So, no, I, there's there's a couple of things I believe when it comes down to the playoff committee. Uh, and y- what you just said is the fourth one. The fourth one is previous ranks are meaningless. I don't believe in them at all. I also don't believe in the eye test. I don't believe in chaos, uh, that there's no chaos situation. And I don't believe the narrative ever changes from the playoff committee. They do the same thing every year. The narrative just changes from guys like you and me. We create the narrative before the rankings and people think, oh, it's different this year. Now, they do the same thing every year. How do you get all those people in one room and rank 25 teams in a day <laughs> and have it ready to go if you think there's an eye test, if you think there's chaos and you think there's a lot of issues? I think it's actually really simple and I think our numbers back it up 100%. So the, the numbers are going to be coming out uh, tomorrow. We'll see what the committee, you know, they come out with. They're going to meet in person, which seems a little strange. They have, I don't know what they're doing that for, especially from what you're saying. It sounds like it's a lot more formulaic than just people like <laughs> arguing over like, you know, where uh, BYU belongs or Cincinnati or anything like that. Um, but for the Pac-12, I don't know if it changes anything because you have some teams that have played a lot more games than other teams. Um, where does the, where do you see the PAC 12 kind of landing in this initial ranking? And 
will there be opportunities to to move up? I guess we'll get to the can they make the playoff at some point, but maybe where the initial rankings, where you see the Pac-12 teams going. Yeah, it, it is. It is really difficult because at this point of the year, usually we have what everybody has eight, nine games in the books. You know, we, we have a really good bead on strength of schedule. We have great bead on who's, play, you know, we got an even number of power five games played, quality wins, top 25 wins. All these things that go into it are really balanced. Um, so I think it's a little bit more difficult. I think it's going to be more difficult this year. Uh, now, tomorrow evening, if everything I say right now is comes out correct, then it really proves to me 100% that it's not that difficult. But as far as the Pac-12 goes, all right, um, there's going to be opportunity to move up going going down the road. Right now, the Pac-12 is disadvantaged clearly uh, from strength of schedule. They haven't played. You know, Oregon's played three games. Washington's played two. USC's played three. Uh, USC, they've played three games, and the teams they've played haven't won a game. Washington is two and zero against one and four te- uh, te- two teams that are one and four. So I think the strength of schedule is really tough, and I think it, that's that's where it's going to drag a Washington, USC, and Oregon down is number of games played, lack of opportunity, and strength of schedule. Uh, so. What we're going to see tomorrow, this is exactly what I think is going to happen tomorrow for the Pac-12. You're going to have Oregon at number 10. Got them sandwiched right in between Cincinnati and Wisconsin. Um, and you're going to go down, down the ledger pretty good all the way to number 20. And so for, for USC and Washington, we have Washington at 20 and USC at 21. Wow. And now, now those could be flip-flopped, all right? Um, I'm, I'm curious to see where it's at. Now, the reason why you have two – one's 2-0, and oh, one's 3-0. Oh. Uh, Washington <laughs> – and then this may sound a little bit funny. Their strength of schedule is actually a little bit better because they've played a team with a win. USC is, has not. So the strength of schedule grading slightly in favor of Washington. Game control – and essentially what that is, best way to explain that is margin of victory. How bad are you beating teams? Uh, now, a week ago, Washington wasn't there um, because they didn't control the game at all against Oregon State. Uh, the ranking for Washington is slightly above USC. So in our projections, we have USC at 21 and Washington at 20. May see those flip-flopped. Because usually what the playoff committee will like to do, uh, this is one of the only things I think that they actually do internally that's not formulated, is they like, they tend to put teams together that they think have the best shot for the playoffs. And that's going to be your conference champions. All right. So I think we could all agree right now, USC is easily on track uh, for the Pac-12 South, and they are very likely going to be the winner of Washington, Oregon. So I think when the rankings come out, you're going to see Oregon, Washington, and USC. They're going to try to get them as close as they can. That's why Oregon at 10 could actually pull Washington and USC up to, let's say, a 19 or an 18 and move Marshall and Coastal Carolina below them. So We'll see how that goes, but because the Pac-12 still has several games out there, including the critical one, the critical one is that Pac-12 championship game because whoever wins that game is going to get a quality win, 
they are going to get a top 25 win and they're going to get a conference championship win. That's basically three points. uh, And those are the kind of things that will get teams leapfrogged over teams that don't win that conference championship game. So looking ahead at the Pac-12, so you're saying, you know, Oregon 10, um, Washington and USC, they're at, you know, the early part of the 20s. What mm-hmm. needs to happen to actually um, get to the playoff for a Pac-12 team? Is it does undefeated on its own more than likely get them in or is it going to require some other dominoes falling? I think it's going to require some other dominoes falling. It's hard to say right now. OK, but if you're if you're a Washington, a Trojan or a Duck fan. All right. The first thing that you need is clearly you need those other two teams to win out. All right. So if, if you're if you're a USC fan, you need Oregon and Washington to win all their games, except obviously when they play each other. And you need one of those two to be undefeated walking into that Pac-12 title game because that's going to give you those, the, you know, that that, like I said, that critical quality and top 25 win. So I think that's the first thing. Uh, that can be accomplished there. I don't think because of the games that have been canceled, I'm not seeing any other PAC 12 teams are going to make a final top 25. So the team that is probably in the position for all of this is Oregon and Washington because they play each other. Unless does, does USC play Oregon or Washington? I don't think so. Right? No, no they, it would be the okay. championship game if they did. Okay, yeah. so so USC's only opportunity for a top 25 win is going to be in the Pac-12 title game. So I'll just say it right now. I think USC's out, okay? The game control isn't there. They're only going to get one top 25 win. Alabama has two. Uh, Notre Dame has one. Clemson has one. Those guys will both be at two. Ohio State has one. We'll probably end up with two. So it's... I think for USC, the best they can do is one top 25 win. So I think really they're probably on the outside looking in, even if they win out. I favor Oregon and or Washington getting in simply because they're going to play each other. One of them will probably end up in the top 25. Then they're going to get to play hopefully an undefeated USC team that even if USC loses, stays in the top 25 as a top 25 win. That's why I think Oregon and and Washington, if we're having a playoff discussion, are more in the driver's seat to do that than USC. That being said, you're talking six, maybe seven games total. Uh, I think it's going to be really tough to crack that top four. Actually, they're not trying to crack the top four. They're they're fighting for the number four spot because I think we'd all agree right now, Florida and Alabama are one of the spots. Clemson, Notre Dame is another spot. Uh, and Ohio State winning out. Um, or Northwestern winning out is a third spot. So I think you have to look at it is you have all these teams below those three conferences looking for one spot. Uh, Right now, I think Oregon and Washington are in the best position, but for that to even happen, um, one of them's going to have to win out and one of them needs to win out big. We need to start seeing some blowouts. The game control isn't there. Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Florida, they have been killing teams. Margin of victory has been massive. And those are huge considerations for the playoff committee. For a team like Washington, they've already missed a game. The Apple Cup was canceled this weekend. Now, if they can replace Washington State with with BYU, that's another top 25 team. So that would be an opportunity. But 
do you, I mean, do you have a sense for like, what if Oregon ends up six and O going into the game against Washington and Washington's only four and O, um, mm-hmm. is it Oregon have a better chance or would like a Washington that has a BYU win also, would that help them more? I don't think it would, uh, you know, something Washington, let's say Washington has a BYU win going into it. BYU stays in the top 25. Um, and, and keep in mind, top 25 win is only valid for that week. Okay. So if, if BYU gets beat by Washington, then loses to San Diego state and falls out of the top 25, then Washington loses their top 25 win it, it, by, by their playoff committee, by what Hancock said, it's not when the game occurred, it is the the most current ranking. So that's something to keep in mind going forward. So to me, if Washington is able to get a BYU, there's a top 25 win. They beat Oregon, two top 25 wins. They beat USC and win the conference title, three top 25 wins. Um, that's probably getting to me because nobody else is going to have a profile like that except Alabama. That'll be about it. So if I'm Washington, I want to try to figure out how to schedule this game. Um, BYU, it doesn't matter for BYU. They're not getting in. I don't care what they do. Their schedule's nothing. They haven't played anybody. They're not getting in a conference championship. Uh, their strength of schedule is, is, is terrible. Um, they're going to be lucky to make a New Year's Six Bowl game, which I don't think they will either. Dave Bartu, we really appreciate you coming on and shedding some light onto what's going on with this college football playoff rankings. So uh, we'll be watching and uh, see how close you are. But thanks again for coming on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, Dave. Well, good stuff there from uh, Dave Bartu. Dave, I mean, are you are you one that watches these ranking shows and you like kind of get into it and stuff? I, I was curious where the Pac-12 would end up, and it just seems like a crapshoot right now because you know teams have only played two or three games. Uh, when it was first, when they first started doing these shows, I don't know when that was, 2015 something like that. I would pay attention and watch. Um, then I would just kind of follow the releases after that. Uh, this year I am like much less interested than I usually am just cause this whole year feels just so bizarre and strange and e- even more bizarre and strange that they're trying to like carve a playoff out of it. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm very interested just kind of from, um, an intellectual angle, what, how they're going to balance, um, the just sheer number of games played by the different leagues um, and how how much that's going to weigh against the Pac-12 because we know it's going to, but just exactly how much it will. Yeah, we'll see. All right, well, we'll start our, we, we just kind of did that right at the top. Uh, we'll let everyone know, uh, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us some questions. We just did a show on Thursday and we're recording this Monday. Hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving, by the way. So we don't have as many emails this week. We do have a voicemail, though, Dave. So numbers 424-532-0678. If you want to send us a text or leave a voicemail, you can do that. You can uh, tweet us at Pac12Podcast or go to the website Pac12Podcast.com. Our Reddit page, I've been trying to get a little active on there, Podcast of Champions. I'm, if you haven't checked it out, I'm tweeting and posting the uh, the updated schedule as it comes out with X's over stuff. So check that out and then you if you have an apple device please subscribe and rate us on apple Podcasts. it really does help grow the show all we ask just give us five stars and then talk trash about us all you want and uh, i think we got a pretty good one this week uh dave yeah we got one from uh, bateman 503 it's a five-star review uh, a review of this podcast uh when one seeks to review a podcast one must consider all the variables are the hosts familiar with the subject matter they are discussing are they up to date on the latest cultural matters 
Do they have an odd interest in American Civil War era history? Well, fortunately for you, the answer to all three questions is yes. This is the podcast you can turn to for all your obscure historical information, unnecessary virus fear-mongering, and occasional football discussion. Honestly, what else do you have going on? Just listen. You're welcome. Nice. Love it. Good stuff. That is a that is a really good one. Um, but yeah, thank you for doing those, and we appreciate that. And uh, Dave, we got some, just some crazy stuff happening. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we can get into the newsy stuff first, but this bums me out. The Apple Cup. Is it's it the canceled. Apple Cup or is it the Territorial Cup? <laughs> I think it's the Civil War. The Washington State Washington one, right? That's, That's Civil right. War for That's sure. right. Yes. That's right. It's the Civil War. Uh, I, I always get it mixed up, you know? And it's funny. That I've saw, I saw a clip on Twitter. Mike Leach was at his press conference, and he told everyone to get a Coke and get two Cokes because it's Apple Cup week. And then he's like, oh, wait, no, it's Egg Bowl week. And then he's like... And all you Apple Cup people that are bummed that it's canceled, just come watch the Egg Bowl. So it was kind of very Mike Leachy. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. It's a huge bummer. Uh, but it's a very, very weird year. Um, and uh, so we all kind of have to roll with the punches. But yeah, um, it sounds like it's Washington State's continuing issue here that's preventing them uh, from being able to play the game. Um, so really sad, unfortunate. A lot of you know, kind of weird happenstance things happening like that where, you know, I think it's the first time in forever UCLA won't play Stanford and, you know, a variety of other things. Yeah, I mean, they might be able to make it up uh, the uh, the week of the championship week. You know, say, say Oregon beats Washington and Washington's not in the Pac-12 championship game. I think Washington and Washington State could potentially play. The big thing would be, could Washington play BYU and there's some complications here and you you know if you depends on who you're following they're talking about it but Washington and BYU could both play this weekend BYU would have to come to Seattle per the Pac-12 rules but you also have to wait the Pac-12 has to wait to see until Thursday if another Pac-12 team has an open date and if that's the case then they would rather have the two Pac-12 teams play so say you know Arizona State wasn't able to play Maybe Utah and Washington could play. So, they, so I think BYU is a little miffed about that. They're already ranked. Do they do they need a game against BYU? Could it hurt them in the long run? I mean, against Washington. So, there's a, just kind of weird right now uh, where that is. But I think by Thursday we'll probably know if Washington's going to get this game against BYU or or if there's another game on the horizon that they could try to schedule. Yeah, well, and according to our guy Dave, uh, BYU should do everything possible to try to schedule that game because they need a real game. Um, but yeah, um, I have absolutely no interest in watching Washington play BYU. I'd much rather watch Washington play like crap. I'd watch them play Oregon State again. That's fine uh, over watching them play BYU. That'd be great. Yeah, so we'll we'll know. I mean, from what I understand, it seems like, you know, uh, Oregon State hasn't lost a game yet. So I think Oregon State, Oregon have all played. They've each played three games. That should probably be okay. I think it seems like big game is going to happen. Stanford, Cal, um, USC, and Colorado seems like they're on track. Colorado uh, didn't play last week, but that wasn't because of what the you know for the Buffaloes. Um, you know, Arizona and UCLA both played last week, so as long as you know Arizona can travel again, they should be okay. And then uh, you know, Arizona State is the one that we're not sure of yet. So. Uh, you know, Utah did play, so they had their first game. Both those teams have only played one game, so you'd hate to miss that one because both those teams have only missed, uh, have only played one. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
We'll see. The other um, interesting note from last week is that um, when Stanford's game against Washington State got canceled pretty late, uh, they didn't elect for the rematch with Colorado, which I thought would have been fun. Like instead, do like a home and home, but within the same week. Wouldn't that be a great time? I didn't have an issue with that. Like when they were like, well, they already played. I'm like, so like, just play whatever you can, you know? Um, but I, that's why the whole UCLA Cal thing that worked out great. Cause that's a rivalry too. And you get to, you know, get the, the UC schools get to play each other. Like if you get an opportunity to play twice, Hey, you know what? Just do it. But yeah, that, that didn't happen. So we, we lost one. We we're out one game for that one. Only one real makeup game so far. I was hoping for some more and I'm hoping we get one this weekend. Yeah, that'd be ideal. Well, it'd be ideal, I guess, if they can play the games as scheduled and have only one team sit out. That would be the true ideal situation. Yeah. Um, but so that's all, all we know right now as of Monday. So uh, one canceled game. We'll see what happens later in the week. Did want to update everyone on the suicide pool. So we talked about Kim and he did email me. It was a boy. I wasn't sure. And uh, so it was right. Um, he's a Washington State fan. He was hoping that the Apple Cup would be played, but it is not. So sorry about that, Kim. He did. We did ask him. I think Matthew suggested or someone suggested, like, let him keep picking to see if he can finish out the, you know, the last three weeks or so. Um, he went over two. So he picked uh, Utah and he picked Cal. So both those teams lost. So the suicide pool is officially donezo. But congrats to Kim. I tweeted out to him uh, on our Twitter account if you want to go back and look at that. But nice job, Kim. Cool. Congratulations, Kim. Yeah. And then I just want to let everyone know about my bookie. It's Thanksgiving week and it's all about traditions, turducken and mashed potatoes and betting on football with my bookies, Turkey day, free play. My bookies, third annual Turkey day, free play returns Thanksgiving Thursday. It's your chance to bet up to $250 risk-free on the early Thanksgiving game. The Turkey free play is a no risk, all gravy wager on the full game spread. Pick the right team and you win. And if your team is upset, you bet up to $250 is going to be refunded before the next afternoon game. New players will get their first deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks to help add even more excitement to the greatest football weekend of the year. That's right. Make your first deposit and get extra cash. You can use on parlays, teasers, and props all weekend long. Use promo code pack 12 in order to claim your bonus and your free bet. And the best part is, that's only the beginning. My bookie has promotions all holiday weekend long. Turkey Day free play is Thanksgiving Thursday that rolls into Black Friday boosted odds and then finishes the holiday strong with buy one, get one free Cyber Monday night football. That's why at my bookie, they call football season winning season. Check it out now. No risk, all gravy, baby. Don't forget to use the promo code PAC12 to claim your freebies. Did you ever have a turducken, Dave? No, I've never had a turducken. I've, I've never either, but it sounds pretty good. I don't know. Are you big? You like, uh, you know, poultry stuff? Like, would you, you don't mind mixing? No, that I'm up actually, or? I'm not a big um, turkey on Thanksgiving guy. I don't know if we've talked about that before. Um, turkeys, you know, I'll, I'll eat it, obviously, um, as part of the, the Thanksgiving uh, meal. But it's really low on the list for me among the, the, the Thanksgiving foods. And honestly, at home, like once I hit, I don't know, 10 my mom just started making loads of Mexican food for Ooh. Thanksgiving, which was much better. Like, because frankly, 
uh, it's just better food. Like you make a big batch of enchiladas for Thanksgiving. That's that's gonna that's gonna beat out any dry old turkey, just any day of the week. So I don't know if we talked about this either, but I I'm a big uh, Thanksgiving is one of my favorites. But I started maybe like 12 years ago deep frying the turkeys, and mm. that's pretty darn good. That sounds good. Yeah, and my my brother does some more interesting things with turkeys. We've had uh, Thanksgiving at his house a couple of times, but. Um, yeah, I, I still think it's just it's not a very interesting meat generally. So I just yeah, yeah I could take it or leave it. Thanksgiving the holiday though is I agree one of one of our very best. Um, you know if you just ignore like the origination of it at all, but like the actual <laughs> feel of it, it's great. I love Thanksgiving. Good football on. Uh, you know I love naps. You know you can eat a lot, take a nap, yeah. whatever you want to do. Yeah, no, exactly. It's the best. It's the best mid-afternoon nap holiday of any of them. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got to get into this stuff because uh, we have Pac-12 Roundup. We got to recap all of those Week Three games, right? We got to do that. We and, sure uh, do. We're gonna go backwards through our power rankings, which this was more of a collaboration. Oh, by the way, I'm back in studio, so I got all the the sounds um this was more unfortunately unfortunately you have all the sounds unfortunately i have all the sounds really come on um yeah so this is uh we we got our re- we re-ranked i sent rankings over to dave he made a couple modifications so this is more of a this last week was sort of dave just going out on a limb um and you know this week a little bit of that too but we'll uh we'll start from 12 and work our way back up and uh, discuss all the games. So first, we have our number 12 team. Arizona Wildcats. And they were on the road, and they're our new number one team. Washington Huskies. I mean, holy crap, dude. Um, So Arizona, like, this game is so... Like, if you're just scanning the box scores, you didn't watch the game because it was on late or whatever. It was like 5 o'clock, whatever. You have no excuse. Uh, 44-27 is the final. Just a measly 17-point win for Washington. You're like, why would that boost Washington up to number one? Well, what if I told you this? It was 37 to nothing, and then Arizona scored 27 junk time, like just pure junk time points in the fourth quarter where they still had their starters in, and Washington was like, hey, Dave, you want to go play out there? Like, you want to throw Ryan and Dave out there to go play? It was just nonsense. Those 27 points didn't matter. Uh, this was an excruciating blowout for Arizona. Um, I, I want to say they had like 60 yards at halftime. Something like that. Um, it was a dominant defensive performance from Washington. They were living in the Arizona backfield. Um, Grant, Grant Gunnell was having a tough time. The running game was having a real hard time getting going. Um, everything that we were thinking positively about Arizona based off of their USC close loss uh, kind of just flew out the window. Um, they were able to do basically nothing defensively. Washington got whatever it wanted offensively. Uh, Dylan Morris was much better in this game, I thought, than he was in the last one. And the Washington running game was once again, you know, kind of everybody doing a little bit. But I mean, the grand total was 45 carries for 233 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, they ran all over this Arizona defense. Um, I thought the deficiencies at linebacker for Arizona were obvious in this game in a way they weren't necessarily um, against USC. And uh, yeah, so it finished 44-27. We almost backdoored this one. Like we almost did. If Arizona could have, I don't know, 
scored there at the end and then, um, you know, done an onside kick and gotten it back again. Um, but even still, uh, this was this was a monumental blowout for Washington. It, it was. And uh, it was one of those ones we watched for the spread. So this was uh, Washington was favored by 11. Both of us picked Arizona, mostly on the how feisty Arizona was. Uh, against USC the week before, this was not. Yeah, when it no, was no, they, like, they were roadkill. They were roadkill in this game. <laughs> uh, it, uh, you were wrong. Arizona had 44 yards. Uh, at oh the my half. god, I oh, was. Yeah. I I remember because I like eyeballed it like soon after halftime, and I'm like, oh my god. Um, so I, I was just kind of <laughs> guesstimating because it was like 60 at that point. I'm like, holy crap. Uh, like right out of the gate, Washington. <laughs> had that huge, they had a big TV run, uh, catch and run that got them rolling. And you're like, wow, okay. Washington looks pretty good. Uh, Arizona actually got a stop and they held Washington to a field goal. And you're like, okay, so maybe they're settled in now they're on the road. It's 10, nothing. Um, Arizona fumbled deep in their own territory and it was 17, nothing all of a sudden 24, nothing. And you're just like, it just, it just steamrolled at that point. Um, and then what, you know, after halftime, Washington scores first, it's 30, to, 30 to nothing. They went for two and missed, which that was kind of strange. Like you just, at that point you felt they should, you know, people were tweeting, like you need a running clock. Um, and I really, USC was Utah was starting around then and I was going to switch over. And, but by the time I did, it was, uh, Arizona had gone for it at midfield at like fourth and two got stuffed and Washington turned right into a TD. It was 37 nothing, and that's when I was like, okay, I'm switching this one over. The Wildcats didn't cross the 100 yard 100 yards gained uh, until the fourth quarter. So, and the longest drive prior to that was 28 yards, and uh, three of their eight possessions went backwards. So that's the kind of day it was for the Wildcats. So miserable. Um, <laughs> but but the big reason. So the main reason I'm saying Washington should be number one because Ryan had it Oregon Washington. I just changed it to Washington Oregon. Is I would say um, the opening like quarter of the game against Oregon State and basically the entirety of this game until the fourth quarter when it was just laugher territory. Washington's looked better than any other team in the Pac-12. So they've played four quarters of excellent football, which is more quarters of excellent football than anyone else has played. Um, yeah. So that's that's the main reason um, I think Oregon still has the potential to be the number one team. We just haven't seen it yet. I think the defense has not been there. Um, I think the offense is pretty good. We'll talk about it this week um, with what happened with UCLA. But um, the defense just hasn't been there. Washington, they've played more complete um, quarters of football so far. Yeah, I, was, I mean, obviously it was a close win over Oregon State for Washington, but they did look more, more like a a number one team. So I don't have an issue with it. They've only played two games and you know, you could give Oregon that because that's just where they've been. But I I'm fine with putting Washington one at this point and we'll see. Uh, hopefully we keep getting to see these games and maybe we'll get to see them play BYU or something this weekend, but we don't get to see them play Washington state, which I would have really been looking. That would have been one of the, the slate I would think this weekend. If, uh, if the apple cup could have been played. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to our number 11 team. California Golden Bears. And they were on the road taking on, wow, we got them all the way up to uh, number seven. Oregon State Beavers. So this was uh, Oregon State um, eventually won 31-27. It was a dramatic finish. Um, This is one where I was kind of, 
having to like do the thing, you know, the thing where you're in the press box watching the game you actually have to cover, but then you're also like with your other eye and your other brain watching the other game that you only cover because you do this stupid podcast, (laughs) you know, the feeling, Ryan. Yes. Um, so I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this UCLA Oregon game is interesting and more way more interesting than I thought thought it was going to be. And I'm also watching just Cal and Oregon State just back and forth, so many interceptions, just like throwing it to the other team just constantly. And it's like, wow, this is really intriguing too. Um, Oregon State eventually came out with it. Um, you know, I thought uh, Cal looked a lot, I mean, they looked a lot better than they did against oh, yeah. um than than they did against UCLA. Um, I, I think it speaks more to your theory that that was just a bad game. I do think, though, at 0-2 now, but even beyond the record, this is not the Cal team I think I was expecting coming into the year. Um, I thought they were going to be a lot better than even in this game what they were. Um, but they were still, I mean, Chase Garbers looked a lot better even throwing the two picks. Um, he looked a lot better than we, were, than we, we saw him against uh, UCLA. Uh, but Oregon State, um, I don't think Tristan Jebbia is anything close to Jake Luton, um, but I thought he, you know, made some some things happen. But the main reason Oregon State won this game is because of their rushing game. Uh, Jamar Jefferson uh, was a super stud, um, averaged almost 11 yards a carry, um, and that really uh, carried them uh, to the win. Um, but a uh, really nice win for Oregon State. And this is one where I think we might have both picked them to win outright when Cal was favored by three and a half, correct? I believe so. Yeah. I, my, in my mind, Oregon State was favored when I'm watching the game and it was like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. And oh, OK, finally, and Oregon State ended up winning by four. But then I look back, I'm like, oh, no, we were actually getting three and a half points. So a little little could rest a little easier. Yeah, absolutely. We were cover central on this one. Yeah. So um my theory was basically let you know coming off the quarantine stuff that you were going to look like crap. You had guys that couldn't practice. They looked much better. I mean, it was a big improvement. Uh, three, they still were out three offensive line starters for Cal, um, but those offensive linemen wouldn't have stopped uh, Jamar Jefferson's first play of the game, a 75-yard <laughs> touchdown run, and I think he had like a 65-yard to end it. Um, but he was an absolute stud. If you remember. Against UCLA, David, because you cover that game. Cal had 176 total yards in that game. In the first quarter, they had 155 against Oregon State. <laughs> so it was different, you know. Um, but there were some weird stuff. They had a fourth and goal. Cal had a fourth and goal, and they end up throwing a pick. And you get the you know the turnover chainsaw comes out. So there was a bunch of plays that just kind of didn't go their way. I thought Garbers looked like a different dude. Um, you know, he had some TD passes in this one. Uh, it was weird. The Beavers were trying to score right before a half and, uh, they get a tip pass interception and then Cal gets a 52 yard field goal right before half. So they had some things go right. They had something that was wrong. There was always like these big plays, but Cal had run 45 offensive plays to Oregon state's 19 at the half. And they were up 20 to, to 14, but special teams crushed Cal. They had a punt return for a touchdown called back for a penalty. Then they had a long kickoff return that almost scored a touchdown that got called back for a penalty. Then towards the end of the game, they had a block punt that gave Oregon State the lead. Uh, it was just like, just special teams miscues. And maybe that's some of that's just, you know, this is only your your second game. There was that awesome trick play for uh, Tristan Jebbia that where he, it was like that reverse, double reverse. He goes out and catches the ball. You know, he catches the touchdown pass. And that actually put Oregon State back in the lead. He had a touchdown run, a touchdown uh, pass and a touchdown catch. So that was pretty cool. 
But he also had a bad interception that set up a Cal uh, touchdown um, after a couple Oregon State penalties. So it was like, which team was going to make the bigger mistake, you know, next? And uh, it was kind of strange. But Oregon State, they had four touchdown drives. And one of them was one play. Two of them were one play. One was three and one was six. Uh, and the longest one, only one of them was over a minute long. So it was pretty crazy how fast they scored. And, and Wilner had a great note on this one. Uh, Cal had more than 100 yards uh, more a game than Oregon State did. They converted half of their third downs. They had the ball for 38 minutes. But in their last two possessions, they had the block punt and interception. And in the red zone, they were pretty bad. And that's why they lost. So th- to me, Cal played a lot better. But there was just... There was a lot of mistakes in this game. I think Cal made the more critical ones, and it cost them. Yeah. <clears throat> yep, I think that's right. So, I don't know. There's a long stuff. It, Wilner had some good notes, and I liked I, – I didn't realize that Cal had, like, that much more uh, – that many more yards. But they, they seemed like they had the ball all the time, you know? It was, it was kind of crazy. Yep. All right. Let's uh, move on. We have – let's see. Our number 10 team is – Stanford Cardinal. And COVID Dave, canceled. Oh, wait. Look what I got for you, Dave. COVID canceled. I went back and, and oh made a drop. God, so, so we're good. <laughs> so I'm there for you. Um, Appreciate that. I, I wrote it down as a note. And I forgot to grab it. So then I did. And now we now we got it. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be used quite a bit uh, the rest of the way. Uh, okay. Uh, our number. So the Stanford, we have number 10. Our number nine team. Utah Utes. And uh, they were ho- at home hosting our now number three team. USC Trojans. All right. So um, USC looked the best it's looked this year, um, particularly on the defensive end, uh, beating Utah 33-17. All 17 Utah points came in the first half. Um, they were pretty stymied after halftime. A uh, big note for Utah is uh, Cameron Rising was selected I thought kind of surprisingly as the starting quarterback um, and then immediately got hurt um, after he threw the ball six times. And then Jake Bentley, who I was expecting to be named the starting quarterback, came in and kind of uh, became obvious why Cameron Rising won the job. Uh, Jake Bentley threw a couple of picks. Um, He did make some plays with his legs. Um, He had a shocking ability to scramble, um, but it wasn't nearly enough. and he was making some kind of poor decisions with the ball, um, throwing it. Uh, but Utah just kind of looked like a team that hasn't practiced a ton. Their offensive line, which was, I think, returning quite a bit, um, just didn't look cohesive at all. Um, and USC was getting after um, Bentley and, and rising before him uh, quite a bit. Uh, the USC defense looked pretty darn good in this one after, um, you know, having some issues at times against Arizona and Arizona State. Uh, for USC's offense, Keaton Slovis still does not look anywhere close to the guy I saw last year. Um, I don't know what to make of that whatsoever. I think there's been some revisionist history that he wasn't great last year, and I think that's complete BS. Um, he was really, really, really good last year, and it seems like now, a year into the tutelage of this um, illustrious coaching staff, uh, he's a lot worse. Um, the ball is not coming out of his hand very well, um, but also just he's... Uh, it doesn't seem like he's on the same page with his receivers. He's thrown behind him a lot. Um, and just the timing on everything seems off. And yeah, 
you can point to the lack of COVID practices being the reason for that, but everyone's in the same boat and it's not many quarterbacks who have seen the drop off in play that he has. And it's not necessarily showing up statistically a ton yet. Um, but he just doesn't, it just doesn't look right, especially with, with the expectations you might've had for this USC offense in year two of Graham Harrell's system. Um, so that's all kind of unfortunate, but really this was, um, a pretty controlled USC victory. Um, they, they kind of poured it, not poured it on. They had nine points in the second half, but they kind of just put it away late. But at no point did it seem like Utah was threatening more or less after halftime. Yeah, Utah didn't convert a third down after halftime. Actually, the second week in a row that's happened for a USC defense. And like you said, um, really only scored 10 points in this game because seven of the points came off a scoop and score after a, a sack of Keaton Slovis. Um, so I thought the defense did play a lot better. If you just look at the, I mean, their linebackers, Raylan Goforth and Kanai Mauga, you know, they had 23 tackles between them. The last couple of weeks, the linebackers were like not near the top in tackles, and they just didn't seem like they were flying around to the ball. Whatever the new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, did in the, the off week, I think they looked like they were sort of just reading stuff and they were confused. This was more about just kind of reacting and flying around to the football. But part of this has to do with Utah just didn't look like Utah. Um, I mean, they had some great performances. Uh, Nephi Sewell, like he had 10 tackles, two tackles for loss. He had an interception. He had a scoop and score touchdown. That's Penny Sewell's brother. You know, he's a linebacker for, for, for Utah. Um, but in general, I like the way Cameron rising was playing. And then he gets, you know, he gets absolutely crunched and fumbles and that leads to a USC score. And then Jake Bentley started off kind of slow and it got better. He had a 33 yard scramble, which he's not known for, uh, being fleet of foot, but it just, to me, my theory, Dave, I think proved true that, you know, they hadn't played a game yet. You're playing a team that has two games under their belt. You don't, we didn't know if guys were going to be in, in COVID protocol and guys like Britton Covey didn't play. Um, so we weren't really sure, you know, what was happening, um, you know, there. So it's like there was guys that were going to be out for maybe injuries. And we know Kyle Whittingham doesn't talk about that stuff or they're out for COVID reasons. And it's just, I think Utah's going to be better going forward, but just coming out of the gate, I think it's going to be really tough. Just watching what Cal did to UCLA and then seeing them get a lot better in week two. I feel sort of good about that theory. Now we'll see if, if Utah gets better. I, I, I feel that they will, but this certainly wasn't their best effort. Just looking at it, it just didn't look like the Utah team we've seen the past two years that, you know, have won the South both times. Yeah. It did not look like a team that was fully ready to play. Yeah. And Slovis, I'm not sure. Like that's been the big talk around USC circles. Some people think that, Hey, it's year two there. So Graham Harrell said year two, is going to be like way better than year one. Everyone's going to know it, but there's also been a lot of film on it and you kind of realize what you need to do to stop it. Um, so it might just be a thing where people are more familiar with it and like, Hey, they have good receivers. They got, you know, Slovis, you know, dealing the ball. We're going to drop guys out of, get some pressure on them and, and see what happens. And so far it's, you know, they've been good. They haven't been great on offense and, uh, they've had some fruitless trips to the red zone. Sometimes that's an air ready kind of thing where you're, you're having a hard time scoring. So I'm curious to see how they look going forward but the you know the defense looks like it's got better i think special teams has been a much better for usc uh bringing in uh you know sean snyder from from kansas state but i thought the offense would be killing it and and they're not right now 
Yeah, and uh, looking at Slovis's stats, the main difference is um, not completion percentage. Um, you know, TD to interception ratio. It's I don't know. It's functionally the same. The main difference is his adjusted yards per attempt. He was at 9.4 last year, and right now he's at 7.4. Um, just a lot more stuff is not going as far, um, whether that's guys making plays after the catch, whether it's not finding as many open you know, combinations downfield, whatever it is, um, they're having to dump it off more. They're having to throw it short more. Um, and that kind of passes my eye test, too, because I was talking about that last week, but how many how many times are they going to have to throw like little screens to brew McCoy and just have him make him create something literally through a defender? Um, the offense just doesn't look like it's, I, I don't know if it's fully in sync or what, but it just doesn't look like they're getting anywhere near as many open targets downfield as they, as they were last year. And some will point to the loss of Michael Pittman for that, but I don't think that fully explains it. Yeah. And then just definitely want to watch, um, what Utah is going to do, uh, going forward. I mean, it just, there was a tough ask to have not playing two games and, uh, you know, come in there and, and, and play after all the quarantine stuff and everything. So I I'm still, I still think Utah can make it. We have them in number nine. I think they can move up, but, um, it just wasn't, that was not a good, good showing from the Utes. No. Uh, so I got that one, right. There's a, I usually don't pick USC to cover the spread. It was only a three point spread. Uh, and that was the difference, uh, this week I, I went again. Dave, I, I was two for two, two and two, and you were one and three this week. I'm glad you have uh, something that's uh, happy for you. Yeah. Um, after a year of um, getting just owned. Last Wait, year. Isn't that past? Like, if we were talking, like, I've won three. No, no, the that's the most recent. Com- the, no, 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 that's the most recent completed <laughs> season, so it's relevant. Anything beyond that is the past. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So next up, we have our number eight team, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> COVID canceled. That's so good. Um, yeah, they were supposed to play Colorado, but Herm got it. Seems like the whole team got it, and uh, we're hoping that they're better uh, this coming week. But no game for Arizona State. Um, all right, number seven we already talked about, um, Oregon State. Our number six team, uh, I'm going to do this one. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> Just because... COVID canceled. They didn't get to play. It was their fault, so they get the meow. Who's the number five team, Ryan? This is crazy. Um, <laughs> coming in at one and two, the number five team is UCLA Bruins. And uh, they had to go up to Eugene to take on our number two team, Oregon Ducks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so this is mainly. Um, it's crazy. All right, so Oregon won this football game. Like UCLA lost this week and moved up from what, like nine to five, and and Oregon dropped. Oregon dropped, which is kind of counterintuitive, but just go with it. Um, so Oregon won thirty eight thirty five. Now UCLA was without Dorian Thompson Robinson, and I think we talked about this last week, but I was very negative about the potential for backup quarterback Chase Griffin to really do anything about this defense uh, well, against this Oregon defense. You're not good at your uh, job. No, I'm bad at my job uh, because Chase Griffin, like I won't say he was like great or anything. I mean, he did turn the ball over three times, but he looked serviceable, um, which was way more than I was expecting from him. Uh, he, 
Uh, I think they did a great job installing an offensive game plan um, to uh, keep his um, deficiencies from becoming, um, you know, huge parts of the game plan. Uh, they weren't asking him to throw downfield at all. He was just asked to kind of manage the game intelligently, which he's more than capable of doing. Completed a lot of short stuff, uh, ran the run game really well. Um, UCLA ran all over this Oregon defense. And the relative strength of this pretty disappointing Oregon defense this year has been the run D. And uh, UCLA went for 51 carries for 267 yards against it. Um, but yeah, Chip Kelly broke out a lot of tricks. Uh, they were doing a ton of two back. They did this pistol offset two back thing with Kyle Phillips, who's a receiver as um, the second back in it. Um, they were doing a lot of triple option. Um, they were just kind of throwing out a bunch of different things that were clearly confusing the Oregon defense and they made the first half um, a whole hell of a lot closer than it probably should have been. It was 24, 21 at half. Um, and then I thought Oregon got a better handle on what UCLA was doing offensively in the second half, slowed it down a little bit. Um, but meanwhile, and this might've been the more, um, relevant piece for UCLA's immediate future, UCLA's defense, it's kind of getting, going to get lost in the 38 points for Oregon. UCLA's defense played a great game. Uh, Oregon scored 14 of those points on short field turnovers. Um, after UCLA fumbled, they scored, uh, immediate touchdowns. Um, but they were both from within the UCLA 30. And then another one was on a uh, pick six on a Hail Mary at the end of the half, which you will. I don't think that you're was... ever going to see that again, uh, but it was a, a Hail Mary attempt for UCLA that turned into a pick six. So Oregon really only scored 17 points on what you would call like offense independent touch or points. Um, they it was mostly a pretty dominant showing for UCLA's defense against what had been um, the best offense in the Pac-12 coming into the game. Uh, they were using a ton of blitzes, a ton of disguises on defense to disguise whether they were in zone or man. You could see Tyler <clears throat> Shuff. Is that correct? <laughs> Show? Sure. Just like Gunnel. Yeah. Shug. Shug. All right, Tyler Shug. Uh, it was really confusing him. You could see that early. Um, they had to call timeout at one point because UCLA is just moving around so much that they couldn't diagnose zone or man before the play. Um, and it was, I think it was, again, it was a lot of window dressing and I think they got a better handle on it in the second half, um, to some extent, but it was really, really confusing them for the beginning part of the game. I thought Osa Digazua played really well, um, and was really disruptive, uh, the defensive front just generally was UCLA was pretty weak at middle linebacker and pretty weak in the safety spots. And that's where Oregon eventually started to generate some yardage. Um, but all told, it was a really, really encouraging performance for UCLA. If it was coming in year one or two for Chip Kelly, it would be a different story as it is. It feels like talking it up too much is, you know, getting into the moral victory type crap that nobody enjoys. Um, but uh, it was a very close game, and UCLA was basically within, you know, a couple of inches uh, from converting that fourth and 12 at the end of the game and potentially um, kicking a game-tying field goal. So they were close against the number 11 team on the road. And, you know, for me, I wanted to see Oregon put a dominating performance together. And the last couple games, they've covered the, the, the spreads, but it's been late it's been like they were losing or whatever and then they come back and and then they sort of uh stretch it out later in the game and when Oregon came out of the gate uh you know 
UCLA fumbles, uh, and then Oregon turns in a touchdown. Uh, that Oregon hadn't first forced a turnover in the first two games, and they got two in the first quarter, and they turned them into 14 points. Um, you got okay, so now Oregon's got a lead, 14 points. They're at home. This is when a really good team just says, "Okay, I know UCLA's feisty. I know they've got some playmakers. I know they, you know, they've played better, but we've just built a 14-point lead, and now we're just going to stomp them." And once UCLA tied the game, you know, they, they, they responded really well. It was a good drive to cut it 14, seven. Then they took advantage. Oregon fumbled and uh, UCLA returned it for a touchdown. And all of a sudden it's 14, 14. And that's like, to me, that was just an indication of Oregon not being maybe as good as I thought they would be. Um, maybe I'm just putting too much in that, but I really felt like that was a great opportunity, especially the way the first two games have gone for the ducks that this was a t- chance to really put UCLA, UCLA away, and they weren't able to do that. Um, you know, it was – the Bruins were up 21-17 and running the ball well, playing really tough defense, getting a lot of pressure on Tyler Shuck, and that pick six at the end of the first half was such – and it was like there was a penalty on Oregon. If there wasn't a penalty, I think, I think you, Chip Kelly just sits on the ball. But getting like that extra five yards, I believe it was – he sort of throws that duck up there to a duck and well, returns, you know, returns I, it for a touchdown. That was insane. So if you're paying attention, right before that play, um, the penalty wasn't just a penalty. Like it was some dude for Oregon, like uh, more or less like just sitting on Chase Griffin, like sitting on his back as he was trying to get up and like just kind of standing there. I, I think everyone who watched it was like, oh, that should be an unsportsmanlike penalty. Um, and I think Chip Kelly thought it was initially. And then I think he got kind of his dander up. Um, I think it was like, oh, wow, they're going to sit on our quarterback like that? All right, let's get him right here. That's my read on it because it it was stupid otherwise. It was from – what was it? From their own 40 that he was trying to throw Hail Mary? So it becomes Um, a delay of game when you're – basically if you're standing over the person, you don't let him get up. But it's not like malicious or apparently that's but a delay it looked, game. It, it did look kind of like yeah. that was I thought it should have been a, to, unsportsmanlike. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so and that was at the UCLA forty, so they get it to the forty four then for the um the attempt. But I think he was initially thinking, oh, it's going to now be at the Oregon forty because that's a delay that's a um unsportsmanlike. It didn't, but I think he'd gotten his kind of oh, we're gonna do this. And I think the fact that his quarterback just got sat on that probably made him want to do it. So it's defensible, maybe somewhat of an emotional decision, but also, um, you know, you got to know who you have. And uh, Chase Griffin, uh, for all of his good qualities that he demonstrated to great extent in the first half of this game, especially, uh, he, he doesn't really have the gun to to get it all the way downfield from the 44-yard line. Yeah. But you, you're going in the halftime, and now it's a three-point lead for Oregon, and it's got to be a little demoralizing. And you knew that the Ducks would get the ball. They turned that opening drive into a touchdown. So now it's 31-21, and UCLA is just like, what the hell happened? But again, you give the Bruins credit. They came right back with a touchdown drive. They cut it to, to three again. Oregon responded, and then they had a chance to extend the lead, miss a field goal. Um, and the, you know, the Bruins cut it 38-35 with a, you know, under four minutes left. Um, I, Felton, to me, just looks like an absolute beast out there. And I mean, I think the the run game looked a little bit different. I think UCLA did some different stuff than they've done in other games, but it looked really effective. Um, I, I mean, I think they just ran the ball well, especially when you have a inexperienced quarterback back there. But defensively, again, 
I think they're letting their corners play on island sometimes. They're putting a lot of pressure on opposing teams. Uh, Ziggy Dua, whatever his name is, like he's just freaking everywhere. Um, they they made Oregon really uncomfortable. So it's it's weird to see this team with a one and two record because they have all these pieces that look like they're playing well together, and it's like the offense, the style they're playing complements what they're doing on defense too. So this is. This looks like a much better team than a one and two team. That's why we have them at five. I mean, really, we should have Colorado at number one based off of them beating the the <laughs> mighty Bruins by six points. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it's is it hard for you to be optimistic about UCLA, David? Um, I'm I'm going to reserve all optimism because we we talked ourselves into this. Oh, halfway through 2018, too, when the Bruins started surging that first year for uh, for Chip Kelly. And um, then they face planted last year, too. So we'll see how this year ends. Um, if they can string together some wins, I think Arizona, um, what do they have? Arizona, Arizona State and uh, USC are all beatable. Um, but I think for, for there to be a renewed sense of optimism in the Chip Kelly era you got to kind of erase the bad taste. And I think that's going to require a really, really good showing to end this year, which is, I mean, I think that's three and O like they have to do that to really make this feel like something that's, you know, turning the ship around. So Colorado essentially is the out of conference game. Right. And then after that, then they can play better. So they got, yeah, the basically. Game. yeah no, they, they had to abbreviate it and keep it confined to one game. And they did. <laughs> Uh, and the, I mean, we, you know, talking to Dave Bartu, the ducks are fine. They're going to be a top 10 team probably. And even though it was a close win, you'd like to get some, you know, uh, you know, uh, more separator kind of wins going forward. And, uh, they'll have an opportunity against Oregon state this weekend. They got to play Washington. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, for the ducks, you're fine, but you'd like to look a little bit better than what they have. Um, this was a, you know, an opportunity early on when you get that early lead. It wasn't like they turned the ball over and let Washington State or whoever jump out on them at first. This was the opposite. They jumped out on, you know, they're the superior team. They jump out on an inferior opponent and then let that inferior opponent back in the game. That was the thing that disturbed me the most. But yeah, we'll see. All right. Our number four team. Colorado Buffalo. COVID canceled. Sorry, Buffs. Uh, we didn't get to see you play, but you know, whatever. That was the it wasn't it wasn't the Buffs' fault. That was Arizona State. So um, we don't get to see the Buffs. But yeah, and then we already talked about number three USC, number two Oregon, and number one Washington. Good stuff. Great stuff. The best yeah. stuff. The finest well, stuff around. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and we'll preview all of the games for week four. Back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
Tom. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. Dude, we got uh, we got five games. Uh, we know the Apple Cup is uh, is out. We, uh, we were going to have a triple header on Friday, and now we're only going to have a double header. But there's some good. I'm kind of excited for the games ahead. I mean, there's I'm liking these ones. How about you? I'm loving these games. Um, I think there's uh, two really you know good rivalries on Friday. I don't think Stanford Cal is going to be a good game, but it's nice to have a rivalry on Friday to watch. Um, and then I'm really intrigued by uh, well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I'm really intrigued by Colorado USC on Saturday. For sure, a couple undefeated teams there. Um, all right, so we're going to start on our Friday games, and that means we have Stanford Cardinal. On the road, taking on California Golden Bears. All right, so this one's on at 1 p.m. on Big Fox, Stanford traveling to California. Uh, Cal is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, so, uh, all right. Stanford is bad, right? We're in agreement? Yeah. Yeah. Stanford's been bad now for quite some time. They were bad last year. Um, they're they're bad this year. Uh, that Colorado game is a deceptive one. They probably shouldn't have been that close. Um, last year, they were 4-8, and eight, um, and were bad. And then in 2018, they were 8-4, eh, and four, but also bad. Like, it was not a good 8-4 and four team. That, Colorado, that that Stanford team. So Stanford's on the downward trend. Um, Cal, you know, we, we might have written their obituary a little bit soon after the UCLA game. They did look a lot feistier against Oregon State. Oregon State, not Oregon State. Oregon State is not a thing. That's not that's not how anybody pronounces state. Um, I don't know how that entered into my mouth and then out of it so rapidly, but uh, we're not going to say that again. Um, but Stanford uh, hasn't looked feisty. At any point. So Cal looking okay last week against Oregon State and potentially, you know, you might have even said better than Oregon State at different points of that game. Uh, that's enough for me to say Cal uh, covers the one and a half here and beats Stanford pretty handily. 100%. I think, uh, you know, we what we saw from Cal was a lot better. I think they'll probably even look a little bit better against Stanford. That's it's big game. So there could be all kinds of. Uh, you know, crazy stuff happening like they do, but I just, I like the trajectories Cal's on, uh, you know, Stanford had the bye week What I don't have a theory yet for the bye week the COVID bye week when it's not your COVID issue. Right. Um, I, do you have anything on this? Because if you have a team that's out for COVID and they have to miss a week or two, you could have players that can't practice there. You know, there's, there's guys that are like contact tracing and they're in quarantine and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not, if you're the team that just was like, well, we were ready um, and we didn't get to play, do you think that's a, a benefit? Like, or would you rather have a game at some point? I don't know. What, what do you have any theories on like these teams that have a forced buy that's not their fault? 
I have no theory on it yet. I think it can go either way. It depends on the coaching staff and the team. Uh, Washington came out of their forced bye week that first week and kind of pooped on uh, the field against Oregon State. They won the game, but didn't necessarily come out guns, guns blazing. So um, I don't really have a great theory about it. I think it kind of depends on how they're motivated and what the internal culture is like and yada, 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 and then just the matchup. Um, you know, same same thing with like, those weird things where you have like a, just a bye week in the middle of a season. Sometimes guys, sometimes teams come out of it really good and sometimes they don't. Yeah. So, so we had Washington, um, they had, but that was the opening week. So I want to see, we we don't have a whole lot of time for this, but I want to see a team that played and then wasn't able to play. So like for Stanford, they played, they played, um, they lost, they lost, but then, uh, (laughs) Uh, then they had a, you know, a forced buy and let's see if they bounce back a little, uh, maybe that, you know, it's a little bit better. Um, I think Colorado is going to have the same thing. Um, you know, when we talk about that game too, so let's see uh, this, maybe this week I'll develop some sort of theory off of that. But, uh, yeah, I think this could have been a seven to 10 point spread for Cal. Like, I don't know. We'll see. That's probably too high, but, um, I, I think this is a, you know, one of those locks. Yeah. Which, which means Stanford's going to come out and play Stanford really well. Stanford is going to blow Cal out. <laughs> I just have to stick by my theories, you know. And my theory was Cal's going to be better. Um, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be as good as maybe I thought they would be. But they they play a lot better in that one. And, you know, this one will be at home. Maybe they'll settle in there and, uh, and, and put a beat down on Stanford. So we will see about that. All right. The other... Uh, game on friday we have oregon ducks and they're gonna on the road to beaver uh, to uh beaverton to uh, corvallis to take on oregon state beavers all right this is 4 p.m on espn number nine oregon traveling to oregon state oregon is a 14 point road favorite over the beavers um so that feels like a lot of points, um, but I think Oregon is probably better than they showed against UCLA. Um, they won that game by three. UCLA maybe is a little bit better than we were expecting, but also, you know, they might have been doing some unique things that disrupted Oregon. But now does Oregon State have a game plan for how to disrupt Oregon? Will Oregon come in really fired up because, you know, Mario Cristobal is going to be lighting a fire under them all week for embarrassing him on national television? Like, there's so many different factors to play into this one. Uh, ultimately, Oregon State has Jamar Jefferson um, and a very vulnerable um, Oregon defense get gashed by the run. Will Oregon State be able to have similar success with a very, very, very good running back? And will that be enough to, um, you know, keep this game pretty close? Because uh, I think Oregon's offense is going to be able to score against that Beavers defense. Um, I do think, you know, they, they might be able to get after Shuck a little bit. Um, but for the most part, I think Oregon's going to be able to score. It's just a question of whether Oregon State can control the ball and score enough on its own to keep this relatively close. Coming in Corvallis, coming in a rivalry game, I'm going to go Oregon State plus 14, um, but I could kind of go either way on this one. I'm the same, and I, I'm, they came through last week, uh, and they, they, you know, they were able to win the game outright when they were an underdog. Just a lot of times I feel like when Oregon State's a big underdog, they get 
blown out and you're just like oh like you're like wow i'm getting oregon state they're feisty i'm getting like 16 points yeah i'll take them and and then lose by 28 you're like what the hell happened um but you know oregon was able to blow out a stanford team that you know we didn't think was very good obviously ucla was you know neck and neck washington state had oregon on the ropes until they uh you know stretched that lead at the end i could see this game being close and, you know, maybe sort of back and forth, kind of the way UCLA was a little bit. And then Oregon makes those few plays at the end of the game. And then they win by like 21. Um, you know, that didn't happen against UCLA and they fought through. And I, I kind of feel like the whole Jamar Jefferson and Felton, you know, like Felton had a lot of success. Will Jefferson have a lot of success? I think he can. So, you know, it's at home. I'll, I'll take the beeves and, uh, and 14 points and, uh, We'll see, you know, we get a little feisty. It would be out of the realm of possibility that, that Oregon State can win this game. But um, I, I think 14 points is a lot. So I'll just err on the side of, all right, I'll take these points and, and see what happens. But would not be shocked if the Ducks go in there and they, you know, take this rivalry very seriously and just put a beat down on the Beavs. Absolutely. Um, okay. And then we know that, uh, oh, maybe we'll do this. We ha- We were going to have. Washington Huskies at Washington State Cougars, but COVID canceled. So you get the the meow again because it was your fault, Washington State. Uh, They actually, I saw a tweet. They haven't started uh, practicing yet. Um, This is another weird scenario. Uh, Well, here, let me, let me, well, okay. Before we get into that. So Washington State doesn't get to play the Apple Cup. Um. This is coming up this weekend. The following weekend, they play USC. So this will be the it'll be the fifth time that USC will have played someone that it was either their first game or they didn't play the week before. So it's very strange, but um, it could be an advantage. Colorado's got extra time to prepare for USC, and Washington State will too. They know that's their next opponent. So um, it's been that's a kind of a weird thing. But speaking of, we have Colorado Buffalo. They'll be in L.A. taking on USC Trojans. This is on Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on ABC. Colorado traveling to the number 19 Trojans. Both teams undefeated. USC is a 13.5 point favorite. Um, So Colorado, from what we've seen this year, I would say both of their games have been a little bit deceptive in the final score because Colorado was much better than those final scores indicate. Uh, They were... uh, dominant over UCLA early and then allowed him back into the game. And they were, I thought not necessarily quite as dominant on the road against Stanford, but pretty close to it and then allowed them back into it. But Colorado's played really well. They've had excellent line play on both sides of the ball. The offensive line has been very, very good and their defensive line has been more than solid. Um, I think they've got some weaknesses in the secondary, um, but their run game has been very good. And Sam Neuer has been, than um, I expected coming into the year. All of that to say, 13 and a half points here is crazy to me. Um, I think I think you could justify USC by seven. You could justify even up to 10. I think 13 and a half is nuts. Um, I think Colorado could very well win this game. Um, but even still, I think they will um, do a pretty good job controlling the ball and keeping it very close. They, they can keep things on the ground with both their quarterback and their run game um, and keep, you know, kind of those ball hawking, USC uh, secondary players from getting after the ball. Um, I think there's a lot they can do in this game on the ground. Um, I I don't think uh, USC has seen an offensive line that's quite as good as Colorado's yet this year. 
um, especially with Utah, you know, not looking, you know, fully ready to play uh, this past week. So give me Colorado on those points. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. I mean, it's a lot of points, especially when things are up in the air. Um, you know, I'm, I'm undefeated picking USC with the spread so far this year. And this, the little spread, I don't have a problem with my theory about Utah being their first game. I think I'm gonna. My theory is gonna be, Dave. If you've played a couple games and then you have a forced buy, that's not your fault. You're gonna come out and play better. Even without that theory, that's a lot of points. Almost two touchdowns for the Buffs. Um, yeah, USC has the firepower, but they just haven't put it all together. Uh, I think there's some really good players on this Colorado defense. Sam Neuer uh, can beat you with his arm, but he's really effective running the football. And we haven't seen USC do a good job stopping mobile quarterbacks, even stopping immobile quarterbacks. They haven't done that. So to me, I think you, I, I think USC will probably win, but it's going to be a, I think it'll be a closer game. So yeah, I'll take Colorado and that 13 and a half point spread. Let's go to the next one. We have Arizona Wildcats. They'll be on the road taking on UCLA Bruins. Prime time on Saturday at 5 p.m. on Big Fox. Uh, there, there's one win between these two teams. Uh, 0-2 Arizona at 1-2 UCLA. And UCLA is a 9.5-point favorite. So people are suddenly buying the Bruins a little bit here um, or selling on Arizona. Take your pick. Um, from everything I've seen of Arizona this year, um, they're they're bad. Uh, maybe not quite as like absolutely horrific as I was expecting heading into the year, but maybe they are. We're not quite sure. They've got one pretty good showing against USC and then an absolute disaster gong show against Washington last week. So what can we really know there? Uh, UCLA, meanwhile, um, had a, I think, a poor game against Colorado and then played really, really well against Cal and then played a strong, had a strong effort against Oregon in a loss um, where with a backup quarterback, they still went kind of toe to toe with, um, with the number 11 team and the number one team in the league. So, uh, there's reason to think UCLA is quite a bit better than one and two, um, as far as like their team quality right now. Um, will that be enough against this Arizona team? Um, that's, that's the question. Um, I think UCLA can get a tad over aggressive in what they do defensively. Will Noel Mazzoni be able to game plan to take advantage of that? I think peak Noel Mazzoni could. I don't know if he's operating even close to his peak powers um, at Arizona right now. Um, I'm I'm struggling with the nine and a half. I, I really am because I think UCLA wins the game. I don't know if it's going to be like a blowout like uh, Washington just did to Arizona. I think UCLA's defense has been very good for the last two games. I think it can be taken advantage of. I don't think Oregon did a good job to scheme against it. Um, and I don't think Cal knew what the hell it was doing at all. Um, Arizona might be able to. And then um, offensively for UCLA, I think it's more than likely going to be Chase Griffin if you're reading these tea leaves correctly, because Dorian Thompson Robinson was more or less more likely in contact tracing, um, which is a 14 day period, which, um, you know, if you're doing the math post uh, Saturday, uh, it would still put him unlikely to play for this game. So are they capable of scoring enough points with Chase Griffin um, to, you know, take this one by nine and a half or more? Um, you can't score half points in college football. So it's actually by 10. Um, 
I'll take UCLA. Oh. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'll take UCLA. It's okay. Fine. I had already written down Arizona for you because I put UCLA for me, uh, but I'll stick with it too. Couple factors here. Uh, I think the line is actually better than I thought because at one and two, yeah, you know, it's probably just because UCLA was close with with Oregon, but UCLA does look like a better team. And if we get the Arizona team that played against USC at home, yeah, I think this is a, a close UCLA win. That would make sense. You see a feisty Arizona team, Grant Gunnell, you know, throwing that, throwing the football around, using that strong arm. You know, them being fairly effective running the football, but just the way the pressure that I've seen this UCLA defense put on opposing teams. And I think Arizona could come up, you know, when's the last time uh, we have to look at this? When is the last time Arizona won a game? Because they lost, (laughs) (laughs) they beat Colorado in week six last year. They went on to lose to Washington, USC, Stanford, Oregon State, Oregon, Utah, and Arizona State last year, and then have lost to USC and Washington this year. They are on a pretty hefty losing streak. And I think you could have built off the close loss to USC, though the, you blew the game late. To me, I, I'm sensing a spiral. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is not going to go well. If, they, if, if Arizona was coming back home, I think I would probably take the points. The fact that they're going to have to be on the road again um, at the Rose Bowl, I, I, I'm not... I just don't think, Dave, they're going to be able to kind of bounce back and circle the wagon. So I'm going to take UCLA. If it was more than 10 points, I I probably would take Arizona at this point. But I think there's enough factors. And my theory is going to be that Arizona's going to start circling the drain. So um, they need to bounce back. They need to bounce back and, and beat UCLA. And I think that will help. But this losing streak is not going to be – they don't want to keep talking about it. But they're on a pretty good one now. I think it's the longest in the Pac-12. Was it nine games or something like that or 10 games? Like it's, it's significant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll both go. You said we've agreed the whole time, but I thought I was going to disagree with you on that one, but then you changed at the last minute. Uh, all right. This is the last one we've got. Utah Utes. Uh, on the road, taking on Arizona state sun devils. <laughs> the uh, COVID ball, we can call it. I'm not even. We don't have a game time for this yet, do we? Uh, they they were apparently moving this to. So I think I wrote it down. They moved it to. Yeah. So I updated on the. They moved this one to Sunday, but we don't have a game time yet. We don't have a time. I don't think we have a network. Yeah, you know, it's just gonna. It, it might be like an FS1 thing on a, a 9 a.m. on Sunday or something. Who knows? Okay. Well, whatever. Sunday. 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 Uh, Utah traveling to Tempe to take on Arizona State. Uh, each team is 0-1. Uh, we don't know what channel it's going to be on. Just check your local listings or whatever people do to look up when things are on. Uh, ASU is a four-and-a-half point favorite. I have no idea what that's based on. These two teams have played a combined two games. Uh, Utah <laughs> looked like ass last week against USC, but it was because it was their first game and they looked like they hadn't practiced in like a week and a half. Uh, Arizona State played one game, also against USC. Uh, looked fine doing it, but that was like, I don't know, a month ago? When the hell was that? 
Three weeks ago? November Jesus. 7th, yeah. Um, so <laughs> who knows? Like, who knows what they look like? Who knows if this game gets played? Uh, who knows anything this day and age? Um, I can't remember what Arizona State looks like. I think they're bad, but maybe good. <laughs> it's hard to know. Uh, Utah looked pretty bad last week, so I'll go ASU here. I, uh, I, I wrote down Utah for me. Just because, like you said, I could flip a coin here. And if I'm getting four and a half points, I'll just take the points. So if I don't know, I'm just going to take the points in this freaking crazy Great. COVID stuff. Great. We are, we, are, we are in disagreement on the one we know absolutely nothing about. That's what we disagree on. And then this one, you know, will it even happen or will it be? COVID canceled. Um, that's such a good drop. I just love that drop. I'm gonna, I nailed you know, it. I nailed the, I nailed the sound. <laughs> I wrote down the time because I'm like, that was really good. I need to write this time down. Um, all right. So those are the five games we know of. We'll see if that Sunday game gets played. Uh, we're hopeful that it does because it's just it's hard seeing Utah and Arizona State not playing any game. So, um, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at just what they did against USC, Arizona State played a close game that they actually should have won. And, and Utah kind of got blown out a little bit. But. Arizona State hasn't played for a couple of weeks, so there's a whole theory thing, and it was their fault. So how many guys haven't been able to practice? Heck, their head coach was out for a while. So um, I think Utah's going to get better after what we saw against USC. So we'll see. Um, so I'll take the Utes. Cool. All right, we've got questions, Dave, and we have a voicemail. So you, you want me to start with that? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Sith Lord Dave. I'm calling from the great Pacific Northwest. It's 39 degrees and raining sideways. The question I have is Lane County, where Eugene, Oregon is seated, has successfully positive popped COVID tests to two starting quarterbacks in two home duck games. DTR being the latest, Davis Mills for Stanford. Um, I'm calling a conspiracy. Davis Mills didn't. It turned out it was a false positive. If DTRs turns out to be a false positive, who's willing to make the call with me? This is a conspiracy by someone in the duck hierarchy who bet lots of money on the ducks and needed to ensure that their wins would happen at home. Who's coming with me? Keep it mediocre, boys. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Um, Unfortunately, one, one important detail Dorian Thompson Robinson didn't test positive. Um, he more than likely is in contact tracing. That's what's going on there. Now, could that be part of the elaborate conspiracy? I, I can't see any reason why not, you know, right? Like you've got a plant, you send somebody to go hang out with Dorian Thompson Robinson for 15 minutes non-consecutively over the course of a 24 hour period. Who's positive for COVID. Yeah, you, that could happen. Right. I think, I think that's so. an easy thing to build into this conspiracy. Uh, and then you got Davis Mills with the false positive. I mean, how much, how hard is it to switch a test, right? They've got millions of them coming through. Just, you know, grab the Mills one, put in, you know, whoever your COVID positive friend is. Uh, I think this is right. I think it's true. I think it's exactly what's happening. And I think we're going to see this weekend. Uh, if Jamar Jefferson suddenly comes down with, you know, uh, yeah, like, you know, somebody near him got COVID <laughs> and now he's out for the next three weeks. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's some reality to it. It's a good point. I think they put Tristan Jebbia and Jamar Jefferson in isolation. They're just a solitary confinement. You can't be near anyone. Um, they're just going to protect them and see if uh, those uh, politicians 
uh, was it Lane County? Come out, you know, figure some way. Now it didn't help. Uh, Oregon didn't cover the spread against UCLA, so their their plot did not work this past weekend. If that's what it was, that's a good point. Yeah, but they did cover the first two weeks, and they just didn't cover against UCLA. But thank you for that voicemail. That was a great one. So please, yeah, call us. You know, we love we love hearing from you guys. So call us, and uh, that's fun. I think we have an Andy email, uh, Dave. It's titled Cannibal. Oh, hello. Right. I'm sorry. Right. No, I just said, all right. All right. I was oh. excited for you. Yeah, I wasn't sure. We only have a couple, so uh, we'll be done here pretty soon. Sorry if this was brought up already. I just wanted to pass along that on your Jeopardy segment, you correctly guessed Colorado was the home to an eatery named after a cannibal. Dave mentioned it had to do with the Donner Party, but is actually named after Alfred Packer, the Colorado cannibal. It is called mm. the Al- yeah, the Alfred Packer Restaurant and Grill. Well, they really named it after him. I'll spare you and your listeners my regurgitation of articles about him, but it's worth a read if you have a moment to look him up. Just wanted to give the dude some credit. Love, Andy. Did you right. happen to look him up while we are I'm, uh, I'm looking him up. So it wasn't a misspell. He is Alfred, not Alfred. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's Alfred. Okay. Alfred Packer. Uh, also known as the Colorado Cannibal, was an American prospector and self-proclaimed, this is from Wikipedia, professional wilderness guide who confessed to cannibalism during the winter of 1874. He and five other men had attempted to travel through the San Juan Mountains of Colorado during the peak of a harsh winter. When only Packer reached civilization, he said that he had been abandoned by his party, but eventually confessed that the party had resorted to forced cannibalism of dead members to stay alive when they became lost. He later recanted the story and confessed to having singularly lived off the flesh of his companions during his snowbound state after they had fallen victim to party member Shannon Bell, whom Packer said he shot in self-defense. He confessed to having used their flesh to survive while stranded and during his trek out of the mountains nearly two and a half months later. Wow. Okay. So, so after after his story was called into a question, he was uh, tried and convicted of premeditated murder and sentenced to death. He did win a mistrial, uh, but spent basically 40 years in prison. So, okay, this was a situation where it wasn't like the uh, that Alive movie where, like, if someone dies, you eat them. This was like, nope, you're going to die so I can eat you. Yeah, that's that sounds more like what it is. Like, he probably killed some people to eat them. Wow. All right. Uh, well, and then there's an actual bar and grill, a restaurant and grill. That's uh, That's actually really funny. I like that that is named uh, after the Colorado cannibal. Yeah. That, that's really good. Nice. All right. And I think we only have one more, right? Yes, this is from our man Hithliday. Collegiate uh, Virgo Rosas. Rosas. Um, all right, hang on. Collegiate Virgo Rosas. Uh... It's a Latin phrase, the way to the stars. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I've mostly been charting teams from the north, uh, but the most unusual thing I've noticed is that uh, I'm going to do this in southern accent. I've mostly been charting teams from the north, but the most unusual thing I've noticed is that there's been more experimental personnel packages and rotation of young backups into meaningful play, often as early as the late first quarter. Through three weeks of 2020, then there was an all of 2019. I suspect this is partly due to guys being unavailable for contact tracing that programs have been quiet about, but I'm also getting a sense that Pac-12 coaches are treating this season as just extended live practice since the eligibility clock is suspended. 
First, have you boys seen something similar in the South as well? Second, I think this is a bigger factor than the abbreviated spring and fall camps and the general explosion and scoring across the league. Thoughts? Third, do you suppose 2021 will be better for it? Any chance the Pac-12 has a leg up on the try-hard leagues next season? All right. Um, so have we seen uh, unusual personnel packages? I would say from a UCLA angle, yes. And I would say, kind of from what I've seen of the other teams, I would say, yeah, it looks a little bit like... Uh, I don't know if it's so much they're just experimenting with stuff or if they're using more window dressing than actual fundamental changes. And so it just looks a lot different because UCLA, I know with their pistol package they were running this weekend, they were running a lot of just base runs out of it, but they were doing it like with some different window dressing to make it look different. I think to confuse, you know, defenses that haven't had as much time to prep for things. Um, But I don't know if that's similar across other teams in the South. Yeah, I haven't noticed too much different from USC point of view, um, as far as like different personnel packages, I think they started to, to rotate more guys in on defense in this last game, but offensively, it's not like they're playing. They got some young offensive linemen. They haven't played those guys. Um, they're basically just playing the starters and then if someone gets hurt, they'll put someone else in. Um, so I haven't noticed that too much, but you know, I think, I think those are, you're afforded those opportunities by knowing that everyone's eligibility clock is frozen. So just, if you want to get, you have an opportunity to play. If you're blowing a team out, empty the bench, let everyone play, get some people in there. Um, but the fact that he's saying it's happening early in the game, I at least haven't seen that from USC's point of view. Yeah. And then he said uh, he thinks this is a bigger factor than the abbreviated spring and fall camps and the general explosion in scoring across the leagues. Do we have thoughts on this? I mean the the the, the explosion of scoring. I I I mean I think that's more about the the environment that you're playing in right now, as opposed to the the eligibility aspect of it. I mean, I really, there's just, it's a crap shoot. I think almost in any game and, and even a team that's like established and they have, you know, they know what they're doing all of a sudden, if like you, you don't ever get like something knocking out your offensive line or your defensive line, or, you know, all of your long snappers, like there's just weird stuff that can happen. So I think, you have to make adjustments. It's not a super flexible sport and coaches that are able to get guys prepared under different circumstances are going to do better. And that's why I'm saying for Nick Rolovich, for Carl Durrell, I have to give them props the way they've, you know, when we've seen those teams, the way they've looked, knowing that they've come in, you know, with just a lot of unknowns uh, to their, and, and to be able to get a team ready and actually look decent on the field. I don't think that's any kind of easy task, but, I would say that's more of just all the craziness as opposed to, you know, the, the eligibility clock being suspended. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, uh, I I'd be interested to kind of look more in depth at it when the season is actually complete, how, whether there was a real explosion of scoring over the course of the entire season, um, because it doesn't necessarily pass my smell test that it's a function of abbreviated camps or practices to your point, Hefla day, because, and this is anecdotal, but how often do you read at the beginning of practices or camps that the defense is way ahead of the offense uh, because the offense is so much predicated upon timing and all these different things that require, you know, good amount of practice to iron out. Well, wouldn't it stand a reason then after abbreviated camps, wouldn't the defenses then be ahead of the offenses? Um, so the fact that it is seemingly the reverse to start this year makes me think there's some, you know, credence to the idea that, um, you know, it's the experimentation or, or, Coaches trying so hard to um, 
uh, disrupt opposing defenses that have had limited practice time or have had um, limited camp sessions or what have you, um, that maybe that's a significant factor. It's hard to hard to get a handle on it until we have, I think, a full season of data, because even still at whatever three games in for most of these teams, it's still a pretty small sample size. Yeah, it is. Um, small. OK, go ahead. and then third, third do we suppose uh, 2021 will be better for it? Any chance the Pac-12 has a leg up on the tryhard leagues next season? Um, if we're I guess if, what he means is as if this is being used as basically live practice for the Pac-12 coaches, is that going to have a meaningful impact on the Pac-12's quality in 2021? I mean, I don't think so. I think I'd rather be in the ACC where you're playing more games. You know, I mean, it's just it's still more experience. Um, I mean, you just have less opportunity for your roster to get reps. And yeah, it's nice that you're getting some guys that maybe wouldn't play normally. They would have redshirted or whatever. But um, I mean, you can play four guys, you can play four games a year and not redshirt uh, now. And in this situation, the most you could play is six or seven. So it's, I don't think it's that big of a, I don't think it's some kind of leg up or anything that the Pac 12 is going to have an advantage here. Yeah, I don't think it would have a meaningful impact on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what the takeaways are. I think it can be useful. I think the fact that these are, I mean, they feel very much to me as just live exhibitions and maybe that's just me ascribing my own meaning to it. Um, but I wonder if it, I, I do wonder, I think this is a good question. I do wonder how much it feels like that to the coaches themselves and how much they are using this as, okay, well, we wanted to think about doing something like this. So let's try it out and see what that looks like against an opposing team that, doesn't know we're going to try to do this. And and what does that look like? Um, I think the fact that, and again, I'm looking at it from a UCLA perspective, but the idea that they're suddenly using quite a bit more tempo these past two games. And then this last game, they did a lot of weird stuff with two back and some triple option and all this different stuff. I mean, yes, it can just be the Chip Kelly, you know, wheel of fortune or whatever, where he's just spinning it and okay. Oh, we're doing triple option this week, which is kind of the way his playbook has looked for two and a half years now. Um, or it could be, you know, game planning for next year. This is how we're going to build this thing for next season. Um, I just don't know if any of the coaches are actually using it that way. I think it could be smart to do it. I just don't know if any of them are actually doing that or if they're just trying to win games each week by throwing a, a weird formation or a weird twist on what they do every week to take advantage of um, unpracticed defenses. You, you know, I wonder too, and I get your thoughts on this, David, like, so for Utah this past week, you know, they're scrambling, trying to get ready. They missed the first two games and, you know, first one, not their fault. The second one was, and you're trying to get back out on the field. And in a normal situation, would you not want to play the game if there's guys that are still going to be out, but you just sort of do it because you have to, and going into it, knowing we're probably not going to win this game because of this, 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 and this. Do you think that's kind of happened where it's just sort of like, all right, let's play the game. But we know we're not at full strength. We know that these problems are going to be there. And, you know, we'll just go forward. Like Cal, you know, having three offensive linemen out, uh, you know, over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, for you or I, it would make a lot more sense to approach it that way. I just don't know if football coaches are um, a lot of them are not wired that way at all. Um, you know, these guys are uh, by and large, they're former players, by and large, they're former position coaches like at their heart, most of them are rah-rah types who think, okay, we can always win the game. And that's, I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just trying to, it, 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 they're not thinking of it all the time very analytically. Um, I think some of them do, but I think by and large, most of them are 
yeah, we can win the game next man up, you know, and I think they say that crap in the media scrums, but I think they actually do believe it. And if you talk to any of these guys off the record about recruiting, it, it carries forward into everything. They always think they're getting guys that they have no chance with. And this is, you know, true across staffs, across schools, so on and so forth. Um, they're just hopeless optimists. Um, and so I don't know if they're ever just like walking into a game and saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to win. So instead, we're going to do this weird crap. I think there are some who do. Um, but I think or some who have the ability to do that. But I think by and large, they're mostly well, yeah, we're going to go try out, try win this game with like four walk ons playing on the offensive line. You know, I think that's just how they're how they're geared. Yeah. All right. Well. I think that's going to wrap it up, Dave. Uh, anything else before we uh, sign off? No, this was lovely. I hope everyone out there in the world has a happy and very healthy Thanksgiving um, and everyone stays safe out there and makes good choices. Make good choices, everyone. What, what does that mean? Like go to big gatherings? No, no, no. go to as many different family gatherings as you can possibly go to. It's safer, right? If you go to a whole bunch of different yeah, no, if, then if the you, virus can't catch you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and actually I've heard it's a it's a quantity thing. So if you get the virus, then just spread it to as many people as possible and then you actually dissipate it, right? Oh yeah, then it's less deadly. No, that's that's bad science. Don't go anywhere if you can help it. Obviously everyone has their personal circumstances. But do your part. Try to steer clear and uh, keep whatever you do very small, very intimate. And have a lovely, if quiet, Thanksgiving. And then hopefully by next year, we are all able to get into all the tomfoolery that we know and love. Yeah. If I have to, I'm just going to deep fry turkey by myself and eat a lot of food. So that would be good. Just deep fry it and then eat it entirely yourself. <laughs> Do it. I need my mashed potatoes. What is your size? Like, I like mashed potatoes and gravy, and I like corn mixed into it. And I love stuffing. So those are like kind of my main. I, I could, I, I mean, I can hit any casserole. Like you want to just whatever you throw it in a little pan and you throw a bunch of crap together. I'll eat it. Um, but my main, like ideal stuffing is that's probably my main one. Um, but really like the sides are, that's where the money is made. Turkey, bleh, but you know, get some stuffing, get some good corn and just all that crap. It's great. Love I it. do love mixing my corn and, uh, you know, in the uh, the mashed potatoes. And just I don't know why it is, but that's just like one of my things. Yeah, like it's all it. good. It's all good. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Dave Bartu for joining the show. And uh, that's David. I'm Ryan. And thank all of you for tuning in to the podcast of Champions. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.